everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. I'm your host, Mark Azzini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I connect with PMMs all over the world about a product marketing topic of their choice. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Celine Tyler, Senior Director, Head of Product Marketing at Dolby Laboratories. After graduating with an MBA from Harvard, Celine began her product journey first as a product manager. In the role, Celine eventually started taking on responsibilities and projects that she would later find equated to product marketing. With that realization in mind, she pursued product marketing opportunities at LinkedIn and Meta before landing at Dolby Laboratories where she is today. For those who might not know, Dolby is the leading global innovator and developer of audio, imaging, and voice technologies for cinema, home theaters, PCs, mobile phones, and games. Their products include Dolby Digital Plus, True HD, Dolby Voice, Dolby Atmos, and Dolby Vision. Today, over 2,000 individuals around the globe share their talents and energy to enable the most immersive experiences that technology can deliver. During our chat, Celine and I explored a variety of topics, all centered around the idea of boundaries as a product marketer. Whether those boundaries are between work and home, between teams, or between saying yes and no, Celine drops a ton of knowledge, insights, and helpful tips that anyone, not just product marketers, can take to heart to help them maintain their sanity and their health at work. Before I get into the episode, I've got some exciting news to share from the Product Marketing Alliance. Are you wondering how to align the product marketing function at your organization? Do your internal teams have little or no understanding of what product marketing is and the benefits you bring to the fore? Are you sick of being misunderstood? Product Marketing Alliance's brand new book, Misunderstood, features firsthand knowledge, techniques, and case studies to help you demystify product marketing, elevate the function, and gain the recognition you and fellow PMMs deserve. Learn how to effectively communicate the value you bring to key processes such as positioning, personas, segmentation, OKRs, and gain supplementary intel from the likes of Privy, G2, Hotjar, Intercom, Zendesk, Adobe, and Drift. Misunderstood is packed with takeaways that'll propel the value of your role and the overall importance of the PMM function and isn't to be missed. Get your copy at pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. That's pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. Hey, Celine, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Mark? Good, thanks. Super excited to have you here today. Thanks so much for joining. Likewise, I'm super happy to be here. Awesome. Well, then, I think it'd be great if you could walk our listeners through your career so far and what you do at Dolby Laboratories as Senior Director, Head of Product Marketing. Uh, Of course. So at Dolby, um, my team is responsible for both the inbound and the outbound aspects of product marketing. So what that means is we take in the intelligence from the market, mostly from a consumer research standpoint. So understanding trends, understanding how people would perceive certain features we would launch, et cetera. And, you know, how our messaging is resonating or would resonate and then take that back to the product and business teams. And then the other aspect of our job is the outbound portion. So going to market, making sure that the sales effectiveness is there. Um, We work with various marketing functions to um, think about what the right activations are for for a go to market. So kind of the whole um, the whole life cycle of a product from beginning to end. Um, and then before, so I've been at Dolby for two years, time flies in COVID years. <laughs> and uh, before Dolby, I was at Meta. And then before that, I was at LinkedIn, uh, both at product marketing roles. And then before that, I was a product manager. So it's been a fun transition going from product management to product marketing. 
Yeah, I, I bet. I'd love if you could maybe just give a little more insight into what that transition looked like. Any learnings from being a product manager that you've been able to apply in your day-to-day as a product marketing manager? Any things that you've maybe decided to avoid, continue to do? Curious if you could share that with the listeners. Yeah, of course. Um, so how I got into it is a bit of a curious story. I was a product manager in LA and working at a smaller company, you of course have to wear multiple hats and the job job descriptions bleed into one another. Um, so without knowing this, I was actually doing both product marketing and product management in my role. And when I started interviewing for um, jobs in the Bay Area, um, you know, for personal re- reasons, we decided to move to the Bay Area. Um, I was interviewing for a product management role and the hiring manager asked me, so, you know, what aspects of this job are you looking forward to? When I told her what I'm excited about, she said, hey, have you heard of product marketing? I feel like that's what you're describing. And I was like, I didn't know that was a job. (laughs) Um, So uh, she referred me to product marketing roles. And that's kind of when this all uh, started for me. Um, And I think the kind of having done product management, what I think I really enjoy about my role is I feel like I have big empathy for what product managers are looking to do. And I think at the end of the day, as a cross-functional role, empathy is probably one of the most important things we bring to the table is being able to understand the sales perspective or our mother, uh, other <laughs> marketing co- colleagues' perspective. Um, and from a product management standpoint, I think there's a lot of principles that I've learned um, that I apply to how I approach conversations. So for example, you know, if the product manager comes to me with a last minute, and we're gonna talk about this, I think, um, later more naturally, but if a product manager comes to me with a very last minute request, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of, you know, is this the right scope? Does this need to launch at this time? And be able to ask those questions and kind of diffuse it more naturally. Um, so I think that's that's probably where it really helped me. Um, and just like I having that um, comfort with understanding what the technical trade-offs are and being a thought partner to them, I think has been a really fun experience. Thank you for sharing that. I am quite envious, honestly, of your ability to maybe gut check a product manager when they come to you with the last minute ask, because you can kind of distill whether or not the last minute ask is actually one that truly needs to be last minute. Um, I think oftentimes, and I know even myself in my career uh, as product marketing managers, we, we we want to kind of sometimes bend over backwards to help our key stakeholders, even when we know we probably shouldn't. I like to think most product marketers are at least to some degree, very good people pleasers. Um, so I envy the fact that you got that experience to, to know when it's okay to, to kind of, you know, give a little bit more and help them out or when it's appropriate to push back. Yeah. Thank you. A little bit of tough love goes a long way. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Awesome. I do want to follow up on another aspect of your career that I found very interesting. So you've, uh, you know, been fortunate to work at some pretty big tech companies. You mentioned Meta and LinkedIn, arguably two of the biggest companies out there. I'm curious, what are some of the biggest differences you noticed in how each approach product marketing? Was there any similarities? Were there any major differences? If you could expand on that, I think that would be great for anybody who might be considering pursuing roles at either of those two firms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what I've noticed, it's, it's interesting because I worked at both a B2B company and a B2C company, and then now a B2B2C company. So I feel like I have a flavor in each one of those. And I feel like 
That is probably one of the major differences that I notice in companies in B2B. I mean, you can't get the product a little bit wrong when it's enterprise, right? Like you want it, you're kind of looking for almost perfection. So I think longer alphas and betas, more crossing your T's, dotting your I's, um, and just a longer um, product pre-launch life cycle that you need to be expecting a lot more, um, you know, checking in with various teams, just like getting to that level of, I mean, reasonable perfection. And I feel like when you go into a B2C company like Facebook, there's a little bit more of a um, let's launch and iterate fast and get it right over time uh, culture. And those definitely lead to different outcomes, but I think it's optimizing for the right things. And then at a place like Dolby, I think it's somewhere in the middle um, of those two in terms of approach. So I think that's probably the biggest difference. From a um, similarity standpoint, that's a really, really good one. I think at the end of the day, it's about customer obsession and seeing that, like I always talk about pitch decks. Um, the pitch decks, when you're writing a pitch deck, there is a tendency to make your company the hero, but ultimately customer is the hero. So in a B2B setting, it's you know that prospect that you're gonna talk to. And then in a B2C stance, that's that's the consumer you're talking to. So as long as you know who the hero is, I think you are doing well. Um, and I would say that is probably the biggest similarity is that customer obsession and really understanding their pain points and <laughs> kind of avoiding this. Um, I always say this to you know my team. Um, here's the answer. I don't know what your question is. And I don't know if I care kind of approach of, you know, like um, really trying to sell in the product. It's really about understanding the consumer and the customer. So I think that is probably the biggest red thread among all the companies I worked at. Thanks for sharing that. I, I really love how you close there with that idea of telling your team, I know the answer, but I don't know what the question is. And if I care, I think you're right. Oftentimes, not just product marketers, but a lot of, you know, especially SaaS, B2B SaaS companies, they're so focused on getting to the solution and, and showing the answer to a problem that maybe the buyer doesn't even know that they have yet. And if they haven't realized that, then why are you trying to solve it for them? So I really like that framing. Um, and I definitely think our listeners will take that away and apply that to how they're positioning and messaging their own solutions through that lens of like, what is what is the question we're trying to answer here? Because if, if we don't even know what that question is, then the buyer definitely does it. So let's figure that out first. Yeah, I, I love that being in the universe, in the product marketing universe. <laughs> totally, totally. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for um, satisfying my curiosity about what it's like to work at, again, some of those giant tech companies. Um, I appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners do as well. But let's jump for a second to the topic of our conversation. And this is one that I think is very em emblematic of what it's like to be a product marketer. Um, yeah, and that's this idea of, you know, being a, a boundary ninja, as you describe it, as well as kind of managing that ability to navigate boundaries without getting burnt out. And, you know, in the build up to our conversation, you mentioned that product marketers often struggle to find a, a healthy work-life balance. And I'm curious what you think it is about product marketing that makes finding that balance so challenging at times. Yeah, I think, uh, again, this is a very like classic Celine saying, I think that product marketing intentionally sits in a very high tension spot. 
Um, and I think that's a healthy tension and it's intentional most of the time. And it's that we're sitting in between a sales organization who's trying to figure out how to make their quarterly numbers work. And then a product organization who's looking at where, where are we going to be three years from now? And you need to artfully balance the now and not dip too much into short-term optimization, but you also can't be so long-term thinker that you know you're not helping the team succeed and meet their numbers now. And I think what makes the problem harder is exactly what you said. We just tend to be such a people pleasers. <laughs> like it just like um, I did this like personality test with my uh, with my team. We were all helpers. I'm like, how could we all be helpers? Like that's <laughs> so there's there's that aspect of it. I think um, we're just drawn into this role. Um, and then the other thing is we're a really good problem solver. So I think a lot of teams come to us with like last minute problems because we tend to like excel at getting hairy things solved quickly. And I think the com that is a really tough combination. And I guess like resisting the urge to um, constantly solve last minute problems um, and not be like, and, and kind of just keep our people pleasing in check while also trying to be effective in the short term and long term. I mean, that's a lot of things to do. Like that's like patting your belly and chewing gum at the same time, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't agree with you more there. Definitely know the pain of what feels like having one foot in the future and one foot in the present and having to like keep everything in between balanced. Um, definitely think that lends itself to a little bit more tension, as you said. Um, obviously we wanna try and keep that tension as healthy as we can, but sometimes it can border on stress, um, tension getting into stress. So uh, yeah, definitely, as you said earlier, empathy is important for our customers. I think we also need to empathize with one another as product marketers, as well as ask our stakeholders sometimes for that empathy as well. Um, you know, Product marketing sits in the middle of so many teams and we're constantly being pulled in so many directions last minute asks, we need to hit these numbers, but we need to plan for the future at the same time. Um, and sometimes it's hard to, to raise a hand and, and say, Hey, like, this is very hard. I need a minute here. Or I need some help or I need some guidance on, on priorities. So uh, I'm curious if you've ever had to ask your own stakeholders, not necessarily for support or help, but to, to navigate situations where you, you feel as though, or maybe even your team has felt as though they're being spread too thin or pulled in too many directions. How would you approach a conversation? Yes. Um, so I think one thing you said earlier, um, I'm going to pick up on that thread a little bit, um, avoiding the temptation. Oh my God. I love your cat, by the way. I know listeners can't see it, but just the cutest. Um, I, so there's, there's that element of being a yes man and then resisting that temptation and becoming a strategic partner. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about this. This is a new Selenism that I'm coming up with. I think in corporate America, when we start as babies of corporate America, we the first one of the first lessons we learn is don't go to your manager with a problem, go to them with a solution, right? Like that, I'm sure everybody's nodding their head. Like that's one of the first lessons I learned. I think that's the problem. I think that's a problem because when we learn that so early on, when we go to our cross-functional partners, so when a product manager comes to you, they have learned as at their early stage of their career, I don't go to anybody with a problem. I go to them with the solution. So they come to you with a list of asks. And frankly, 
that is when the conversations actually go so wrong because here you are sitting negotiating. Am I going to do number one or number two? I don't have bandwidth for number three. Let's reprioritize this list. Whereas that is not the conversation we should be having. The conversation should be, what is the problem? And I, when someone comes to me with a to-do list, I'm usually like, with all due respect, I know how to do my job. Tell me about your problems. Tell me what we're trying to solve. And then I'll come up with a solution. And then when I'm coming up with a solution, I have the trifecta that I'm thinking about. And this is product management 101. And I think it applies to uh, work-life balance. Like to me, this is the most important thing I, I um, think about. The trifecta is within a certain project, you have a certain amount of time that you can impact. So what's the project deadline? Uh, what is the scope? And how many resources do I have? So when someone comes to you with a problem, you can come up with realistically, this is my bandwidth, how flexible is the deadline, and what's the scope that we really need to hit by that deadline. And that is where I'm negotiating. So when you say it needs, it's due tomorrow, what is really due tomorrow? If I, you know, in the world of rainbows and unicorns, if I deliver this due tomorrow, what did we gain from it? And that's the negotiation in my mind. And if I hit that trifecta, I know I can get it done. It's just that, A, I need to be realistic with myself. Um, like, we need to be thinking about people pleasing in terms of ourselves as well, right? Like, how am I pleasing myself in this equation? Um, and then our cross-functional partners. And I just think about, like, how, where do I fit in that trifecta? Or maybe I ask, like, hey, yeah, maybe we can hit this deadline that you're talking about, but I need you in that equation as well because I can't do this by myself. I need you to take a first pass at it because I'm doing something else. Then, you know, so that negotiation, I think, is where I kind of get the uh, little bit of a leverage. I absolutely love that. I think you definitely need to get both the Salinism and that trifecta, I don't know, framed or on a bumper sticker or something. Cause like that is, it was so insightful. Thank you so much for sharing those things. And I, I really want to touch on your first kind of Salinism, this idea mm -hmm. of, we're taught, like you said, at such a young stage in our career to come to your manager with problems. I almost think we need to flip that on our heads in some ways, because as a people leader, part of the role is removing blockers for your team, helping them solve problems. I remember early in my career, I was given the opportunity to manage a team of individuals who had been at the organization a lot longer than I had, had way more experience. And I felt like day to day, all they did was come with, to me with problems. And I think that's perfectly okay. And a manager should expect that. Um, so I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's important to at least have somewhere to start in terms of solutioning. But part of the role of being a people leader is to help your people. So I couldn't agree with you more with that. I definitely think that's some reframing that needs to happen in, in um, you know, when people start their careers for sure. So I feel like there's a nuance there. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I feel like solutioning is, is um, not seeing the big picture if it's a cross-functional team. Because when someone comes to me with like, here's the solution I'm thinking about, they're not the subject expert, right? I am. And so they're limiting my thinking in terms of what solution that I could come up with. Uh, so in a cross-functional setting, I don't think the, that, that notion crosses borders really well, if you will. But within my team, I do think that, I mean, when someone says, here's my problem, <laughs> literally the first thing I say is, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> uh, 
Um, so in that sense, I do think that, um, you know, I want to encourage my team to think about, you know, if, if there's new managers out there, like I do think that there's a, um, a fine balance of your, someone on your team has a monkey on their back and then you're like, oh, let me put that monkey on my back. Um, and it's very, very, very tempting. Again, like as a new manager, that also whacks up your work-life balance. But what it really does is that it doesn't, it doesn't allow that person to realize their full potential. You're just kind of feeding them, you know, stuff to do. And I think that, like, I always say to my team, um, when you are two steps ahead of me and you keep me humble, that's when I know I'm a good manager because you are closer to the information than I am. If I knew more than you, there's something not right about this equation. So for me, yeah, like the solutioning part is important, maybe intra-team, but doesn't doesn't cross boundaries very well. Does that does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate that extra, extra little bit of nuance and context because I think it's helpful as well. And yeah, by no means would I want to advocate for um, listeners to all of a sudden go to their people leaders and just spew a bunch of problems. I think you're right. There definitely needs to be an element of these are the problems that I'm facing. This is how I think we should approach it. And that needs to be an open dialogue. But I hundred percent agree with you. When you're talking about cross teams, nothing's worse as a product marketer than getting a list of requests and tasks from one person with no real thought as to why this is important and applying that trifecta framework uh, that you referenced earlier. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. Awesome. Uh, just moving on here, you know, often as product marketers, I think we're expected to influence without authority. Um, it's a term that I've, I've heard used a lot more often more recently. I'm curious, how have you developed the skills necessary to become what you've dubbed a boundary ninja? Someone who I would imagine there's an element of influencing authority as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it goes back to, so I always say like every ask that comes to me, I see it as a proposal. Um, and I am here to evaluate your proposal. And I would say, the more I, and it's a practice, right? Like, again, I think it's really easy to be like, yep, I can do that. Because if you have the bandwidth, like, you know, you could just say, yeah, yeah I can do that. I think even when I have the bandwidth, having that discipline and practice to say, why do we need this? When does it need to get done? Do we really need this? Um, am I the right person to do this? I think there's so many ways of saying no. Um and I think the more your no's are real, um, the more people build confidence in your yeses. Um, so I think building that practice of, well, first of all, when I'm saying no, it's not because of a capability issue, right? Like, so just knowing yourself, I think like that's probably the first thing that we do. We just worry that people are going to take that as like, oh, they must be not capable, lazy. Like those are those are out of question. We know that we're here. We're kick-ass product marketers. Um so have that trust in you. And then rather than saying yes, it's really taking what people say as a proposal and kind of working through that proposal with them and becoming a thought partner. Um, and then, yeah, the last piece is just because it hit your plate doesn't mean you're the right person to do it. So sometimes I also end with great, love this project. I'm not the person. I really feel like so-and-so comes to mind and just you know, being able to kind of be honest about that too. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like the other aspect of it um, that we didn't get to yet is nobody's going to set boundaries for you. And so being really honest about what your personal boundaries are really important. 
not speaking for a friend, um, definitely been burned out a whole lot of times in my life. And when you come to that place of burnout, it's really hard to step back from that. Like you don't recover and bounce back in a day. So I would not recommend going there. And what that means is being really um, honest with yourself about what your personal boundaries are. So for example, for me, it's really important that from six to eight, every, every night I am with my kids. I do not answer emails. I do not text back. Everyone knows this about me. I just don't. I just don't. And if I do, it makes me a very grumpy person. And you don't want you don't want grumpy Celine. You want you want the happy Celine. And I say this to people. And honestly, like, or you know, when some sometimes someone on my team says, "Oh, I'm going on vacation, but you can text me anytime." I'm like, "Why would I do that?" Like, do you like with all due respect, do you really think we're that important that are like? enjoying vacation for a week will burn down this company. I really don't think so. So, I mean, I don't want to set that boundary for people, but I'm literally like the, the whole point of PTO is going offline. Why would you do that? And I, I stick to it. So I think it's a little bit of that as well. Um, yeah. And I think the firmer you are about your boundaries and what you're willing to do with your partner or what you're capable of doing, the more authority you have in terms of like, here's what I will deliver. And, and I think that's really important. Um, and to me, that's what it's, it's not work-life balance per se, but it's work-life integration, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a, an intelligent observation. And I think for some individuals, it takes their whole careers for them to come to that point of realization. So um, I'm, I'm, you know, Again, envious that you've been able to come to that so early on in your own career as well. Um, I, I think it's this idea, if I can expand on a little bit, of almost like maybe non-negotiables is too strong of a term, but in a in a in a in a role or at an organization, you kind of need to have those non-negotiable boundaries. You know, speaking for myself, I'm very my lunch is sacred. Let's say when, when I'm taking yeah. a lunch, I I need that break in the middle of the day to just disengage, whether that's to enjoy a, a decent lunch or to go for a walk or to exercise. Like I'm one of those people where if you bug me on my lunch, like you said, you're going to get, you know, angry or annoyed Mark for the rest of the day and, and nobody wants that. Um, yeah. And you're right. It's, it's because it's ingrained in us as product marketers to, as we said earlier, be people pleasers. Sometimes it's hard to say no to things and to push back and to have those non-negotiables because you feel like at the end of the day, you're letting your stakeholders or your partners down. But like you said, especially when it comes to things like vacation, like the place isn't going to burn down because you decided to take a week or two off or away from your office or an hour over lunch or two hours in the evening. Like, I think that's totally fair. And it's important for product marketers, especially because we're in the middle of so many teams to, to set those boundaries. I couldn't agree with you more there. Yeah. And I want to say, I feel like we think that we're letting people down, but when you spread your energy across so many things, you are not doing your best work. Like, let's not let's not even kid ourselves that when you feel like you're saying yes to everything and your air quotes delivering on that, you're probably not, and you're stressed out. You're just trying to check off boxes, and that's that's not the best place to be. You're not going to do your best work. Um, and the other thing you said, yeah, it's a little bit of non-negotiables. Someone said this to me, and it really resonated. Um, I was when I was in consulting, we were starting a project. And um, the engagement manager said, hey, I want everyone to tell me who their baby is. 
And what she meant by that was some of you are new parents and there's an essential aspect of taking care of a baby that's non-negotiable. But just because you don't have a newborn doesn't mean you have something just as important in your life that you need to take care of. And that could be <laughs> yourself. That could be a furry friend. That could be, you know, a significant other in your life. That could be your mother, whatever it needs to be. But she was like, let's all go around the room and name our babies. And let's all be respectful of the fact that we all have babies. And I just love that. Um, so at the end of the day, I think, yeah, like your lunch break is sacred. For me, it's the six to eight. Um, it's really important for you to know what makes you happy and be really vigilant about keeping those sacred. Um, and I think that leads to more happiness. And over time, like I feel like taking that one hour, two hour break probably actually makes you more productive. A hundred percent. And I think one of the, you know, benefits um, of this new kind of hybrid work environment where people are working from home is I think there has been a general acceptance of it's okay to take, like, take a minute and step away from the computer or work within a time frame that works best for your non-work life. Um, so I, I think we're getting there. I think a lot of companies are a little bit more progressive than others in respecting that time. But I really do like the idea of taking that time, whether it's the beginning of a project, just forming a new team, bringing a new person on board, of asking that question of, you know, what are your babies? I think that's great. And I think it also helps to create a safe space for people to think like, yeah, I might not be a new parent, but there are things in my life that if I don't have this or if I don't have time for this, I'm not going to be able to, to be happy generally in life and also at work. So I think it's important to, to ask that question. I definitely encourage anyone listening who they themselves lead a team or looking to join a new team to maybe push that as one of the questions that get asked at one of those first team building uh, moments. Yeah. I love that. So on this topic of boundaries, I think we talked a lot about setting up important, you know, life boundaries and, and taking time for yourself, which I think is critical. But I also want to touch on this idea of boundaries between teams. Again, as we said, and have said multiple times, because product marketing sits in the middle of so many teams and works so cross-functionally, oftentimes boundaries around responsibilities, who owns what metrics, who should be leading what projects, those lines can get blurry. Sometimes they can get so blurry that they cause friction. I'm curious how you've had to navigate that in your career um, and how you've approached that collaboration and working together without not necessarily stepping on people's toes, but making sure everyone's comfortable with who's doing what and how. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I feel like this happens for all sorts of good intentions. And then when you find yourself in a super contentious situation, so I completely agree. I would say, first of all, my personality has always been a lot more action oriented. Like I dive head first and I'm like, we'll figure it out as we go. Huge temptation. Every muscle in my body is like, let's just like do it. And like, we'll fly the plane as we go. And while I love that saying, and it makes us agile, there's also a counter to that that I think is very important. That's to slow down, to speed up again. Um, and that is a practice and a skill that I had to learn over time. So when I came to Dolby, one of the first things I did was understand every cross-functional partner that we work with, kind of look through, like, how do we work with you? What are some of the pain points we have? When do we run into challenges? Where are the bodies buried? Like all that good stuff. Um, and then worked with them to develop a 
flowchart. Like these are the steps we take to do X. This is the RACI model who's responsible, um, accountable, who's consulted, who, who gets the input into each one of those steps. And then what are the deliverables? Like what's the output of each step? Who's responsible for each one of those outputs? And what's, you know, what needs to be an input into the next step? And as tedious as it sounds, that really allows us to speed up and do things fast. Uh, and this process doesn't take very long, but it could just be a misunderstanding, a missing step. Um, some, you know, sometimes when you dig into it, it's like, well, it didn't seem like anybody was doing it. Whereas this other person's like, I felt so disempowered when so-and-so did this instead when they were trying to help. Like it's usually, you know, just a giant misunderstanding. But to me, creating those models um, and those flows have really helped. This is something I learned at LinkedIn. I feel like they have been fantastic at doing that. Like I feel like at the beginning of each project, they create a racy, they talk about objectives, um, you know, how are we going to get this done? What's the project flow? What are the timelines? And so being able to do that early on, I think, I think really sets the expectation. But I would also say at the end of like, once you have a couple of these under your belt to reevaluate, like, did this work? What part of it didn't work? I don't think you get it right the first time. So don't like throw the baby with the bathwater. Um, but just kind of reiterating and getting to a place where you have a really good model. The added benefit to something like this, it's a great onboarding tool. Like when you have new people starting, you're like, here's how we do everything. Here's who you contact. Here's how you work with them. Here's a documentation on when you need to get involved. It's just so nice to be in a place where everything is so clear. I don't want to over-process, but there's just enough in there that like people can, you know, follow the steps. So I think that's, that's kind of my silver bullet, if you will. I think that's such helpful advice, especially for first-time product marketers or first hires as product marketers within an org. I think as you, even your own experience, you had said that, you know, your product manager who found out you were basically doing product marketing at some point. Sometimes if you're the first product marketing hire, you're coming in and oftentimes taking responsibilities or taking on projects that previously someone else was doing under a different title. So I think your recommendation of going through that process and establishing that, applying that racy uh, framework allows you to, in a very clear, concise, and also like non-personal way, get everybody aligned around like, hey, I, I understand that historically maybe this team has done this or this individual has taken the lead on these projects, but for us to do our best work, let's figure out who really should be doing these things. And whether that's product marketing, whether that's product, whether it's success or sales, whoever it might be, at least we can figure out and in the process of figuring out, have those conversations then have everything seem vague and, and unsure. And then if we don't have that, we get into a project and people are getting frustrated with one another, or there's a duplication of work or balls get dropped because no one knows who owns something. Um, I love that approach because I think it helps add that clarity, especially for people who are the first product marketer to join a company. Yeah, absolutely. We've all awesome. been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so I want to just quickly, before I let you go, um, touch on something that we, we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but just maybe dive a little bit deeper. You, you talked about sometimes situations where you need to be comfortable and understand when it's okay to say no. And I think for all the reasons we talked about before, that can seem very scary for people, especially product marketers who, as we said, are people pleasers. So I'm curious what advice you might have for someone who finds themselves in a situation where they just 
realize, you know what, I just have to say no to this request or this specific stakeholder or to this opportunity. How, how would you recommend they navigate that conversation that can seem and feel really scary and uncomfortable? Yeah, I think resist the temptation just to say no. Like I usually, my spiel is usually something like, tell me more. I invest the time, tell me more, help me understand what you really need. And then, and then like once I establish a, that understanding and B that empathy, like, I think it's really important again to like understand the urgency where they're coming from. Um, my responses are usually things like not now. Um, I just have too much on my plate right now, but you tell me, like, I'm also working on X, Y, Z. You tell me if we should renege this and think about it a certain way, right? Then I'm saying no to something else that they put on my plate, um, but I'm putting it on them to tell me. Um, but just being really comfortable, like, I just don't have the bandwidth, so tell me how we can work through this. Or no, I don't think I'm the right person. I feel like so-and-so might be a better person because I also feel like sometimes why this happens is you're like, ooh, why did I say yes? I'm not even like, I shouldn't even be doing this. I'm doing it as a favor and I'm not going to do a good job. Like resisting that temptation to be like, cool, I, I get what you want to do. It feels like such a good mark. Like Mark is amazing at that. Have you thought about working with him on that? Um, or again, like going back to the trifecta, as you're describing it, that's not feasible. Let's talk about like, should we extend the timelines? Should we change the scope? Can, can you help me do this? Is there anybody else on your team who could contribute budgets? So we outsource this, like whatever it is. Um, so to me, it's never no, because I have enough trust with my cross-functional partners that I don't expect them to bring something to my playground, like flat out, like, no. I mean, sometimes it happens, but overall, I feel like it's more like understanding the need and figuring out like how we, we as a team can do it. Um, another Selenism is um, I think in those instances, you really need to think about like before you say yes or no, you want to go take a walk in the nature. I say this because no project ever, you're the single point of failure, like never. Like if you look at nature, right? And that's why like taking a walk is super important in these instances. Like if a tree is a little crooked, you don't look at the tree and be like, wow, you really fucked that one up. Like, you're kind of like, oh, beautiful. Like you go in a different way. I'm sure the wind was blowing in a direction, whatever, right? Like you see it in its whole environment. Whereas for some reason, when we think about ourselves, we think so individualistically. So when someone comes to you with like, here's what I need, I'm never like, okay, am I gonna rise to that challenge and meet your needs? It's like, how as a team can we, rise up to this challenge. So when you change your mindset, I think it becomes less of a no. And then like that guilt of like, oh, I fucked up. I'm not, I wasn't good enough. Like, what are they going to think of me? Excuse my language. Um, but it's really like, I'm a part of this collective organization. We're all going to do this if this is important and I'm going to play my part in some shape or form. That's kind of like, like try to look at it. I think that's great. I think you're absolutely spot on. So often even just not as product marketers, but just as, as employees of a company, we internalize and individualize so much. And you're right. Like you're part of a, of a team of people. It's, you know, a company isn't just one person unless 
sole startup founder sort of situation. But in most cases, that's not the case. Um, you have other people to rely on. And I think framing it around, okay, if, if I can't necessarily take this on right now, who else or how can we as a team rally around this? And how can we pull in other people to make that uh, this, this ask you know, possible, I think is a great perspective to take. Um, especially because again, and I said it too many times to even count at this point, product marketing is in the middle of so many teams. There's got to be someone across those cross-functional teams that you can lean on or you can go to for additional support or guidance. Um, because you know, we have eyes on everything almost. So we kind of know as the uh, kind of point person who would be good at what and where, where support can be gained. So I think that's super helpful advice. And even just beyond um, being a product marketer, I think a lot of what you just said applies to really anybody in the role. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And I've had so many times where I'm like, you know, I can't do the sales enablement deck, but you know, so-and-so in sales is a genius. I've seen you create a good deck. And all of a sudden, like that person gets recognition and they're so happy. Like, Oh, you recognize me as someone who creates a really good deck. That need is met and everybody is happy. And I didn't do anything. I just wrote like, a two-liner email saying, hey, Chris, can you send that deck that you created for this account to so-and-so? And it's like, all of a sudden, like, you know, you, you've said yes, but you actually said no. So I think that's the ninja part for me, like the boundary ninja part. It's like, you're actually saying no, but your mouth is saying yes. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And it's funny you say that. I've often heard um, product marketers be referred to as quarterbacks for anybody who follows sport and, and American football more specifically, but oftentimes as a quarterback, sometimes you get the ball and you're the center of the play, you're throwing it, you're running it, you're making things happen. Other times you're handing it off to someone else to take the ball. And I think a good quarterback um, knows when to make the right play call and when to hand it off or when to take the lead or when to throw it. Um, and product marketers, it's a skill that we need to develop as well. So um, I, I definitely think you're spot on there. Well, listen, Celine, this has been fantastic. I think of all the conversations I've had today, this is probably the one that is most applicable to even non-product marketers as well. So I would encourage any product marketer or any listener um, listening, um, if they know someone who finds themselves facing the same challenges that we kind of described today, but isn't necessarily a product marketer, share this episode with them because I think there's so many great career and life lessons they get out of this. So thank you so much for sharing that. I think such good insights that go beyond just the world of product marketing. So I can't thank you enough for sharing oh, them. Thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. Well, before I let you go and, and ride off into a blaze of glory here, um, I want to ask you my, my last question. It's when I ask all my guests and I'll, I'll you know put it to you. If you could choose to work for any company out there and be the product marketing lead on any product or service that they offer, what company would that be and why? And if it is your current role at Dolby, that's perfectly okay as well. We'd just love to get an understanding of, of how you would make that call. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely say I'm super happy at Dolby. I feel like since I've joined, we've done some really, really fun, interesting things. Um, but I'm not here to, you know, talk about that like that. But if I were, let's say tomorrow, they're like, you know what, Dolby doesn't exist. You need to find a new job. I really admire Airbnb. And um, the reason is I feel like they have great product marketing, like they're positioning around such a kind of weird product when you think about it, right? Like at the beginning, it was a little weird and now we got used to it. And like, we don't even think twice about it. That to me is genius level product marketing. So I love that. And I also love how, like, even during the pandemic, how they've kind of um, stood up to social issues without taking space and being true to themselves. So that's probably beyond product marketing, but that's what I really admire about them as a company and, and 
I just feel like kudos to their marketing department, just genius people working there. Um, and if I were to work on a product there, I think, I, I think I might've said this, like I'm not the most like enticed by B2C companies. I don't feel like that's my jam. So I would probably, if I were working there, because I think it's just a fantastic company, I would probably work on their matching algorithm. Like if you do the search, there's so much inventory, like how do they figure out how to match you without really like knowing you, but knowing you at the same time is just such a fascinating question. I think that like shows my <laughs> nerdy product background. I'm just like, oh yes, algorithm product sounds amazing. <laughs> hey, everybody has their thing that they that they cling on to that it excites them. I think that's perfectly okay for you to say that. Um, yeah, in it's funny you mentioned Airbnb because in a conversation with some of the product marketers that I work with, their whole launch of um, I think it's called categories where you can find a listing based on whether you want to stay at a castle or have an amazing pool. Like I think that's like it seems so obvious now that it's here, but when it was launched, it's like that's so incredibly insightful and smart. Like almost how did it take them so long to figure it out? But like now that they have, it's like, wow, that's like genius. Um, so definitely huge props to whichever team put that idea forward and, and for the mark, product marketing and broader marketing team for bringing it to life. Cause I think the whole um, promotional campaign they put behind it was really strong. I've seen commercials on YouTube and on TV for it. I think it's yeah. Genius level for sure. I agree with you there. Big ups to that team or those teams that worked on that. Yeah, absolutely. Second that. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Like I said, Celine. Um, I've really enjoyed our time together today. Highly encouraged. Like I said, anybody listening, if they've got a colleague who finds themselves in some challenging situations like the one we described, encourage them to listen to this. Maybe even reach out to Celine if they've got uh, any questions or they want some advice on navigating tricky situations. Um, and if that is the case, um, if someone did want to reach out to you, what would be the best place for them to do that? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm glad you asked because I really do love my email address at Dolby. It's style at Dolby.com. Yeah. That's perfect. That's, yeah. that's easily one of the best corporate emails I've ever heard. <laughs> that's definitely up there. That's impressive. And the thing is, it was their um, default email address. It's your first name and your first four letters. And I was like, sweet, I'm never leaving. <laughs> yeah, seriously, for the email alone. That's incredible. Awesome. Okay. Well, like I said, this has been great, Celine. I'll let you go. I definitely, I'm sure we'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll uh, maybe look to have you on the show again in the future. Thank you so much for your time today. Sounds great. It's been my pleasure, Mark. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.